and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 62. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. This week, we'll be discussing the 18th episode of season 3, Fractures. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Fractures. Moya finds a nearly destroyed pod with a Skarin, Nabari, and Hynerian along with their PK hostage. After reuniting with Talon, John doesn't get the reunion he was hoping for. Meanwhile, one of the ex-PK prisoners is a traitor who keeps sending out signals of their location, and the crew has to ferret out who it is. We have a reunion episode titled Fractures. So this episode has a lot going on in it. Our crew reunites, so we have Moya and Talon coming together. And we have a villain of the week plot that centers around the crew of the similarly mismatched prisoners that they rescued on this transport pod. And beneath it all is there's this emotional current of John's reunion with Aaron. And remember, she has lost her John and has been grieving him, whereas he has been anxiously awaiting her arrival. So there are a lot of people to keep track of in this episode because we have this new crew. And I think the episode does a pretty good job of doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that one of the ways they did it really well was early on they split up the new crew. Essentially, each of our Moya crew has one new crew person. So that kept it really easy to keep track of. One of the things this episode does really well is that it kind of teases out that who's the real John, who's the copy thing again. Because I know I came down on the side of they're both copies. But the show is still kind of like, well, one of them has to be real emotionally, at least to the other characters. The other characters need to feel like one is emotionally the or one is the real character and they emotionally. And in death, it's really only that we're allowed to see the Johns as kind of the same. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they they end up having this situation where John feels like he's the real John. But now that he's dead, Aaron feels like the other John was the real John. I feel like this whole episode is about smashing expectations Mm -hmm. in that the expectation is that there's going to be this happy reunion. And let's just go ahead and start with that because that's where they're at at the beginning of the episode. John is really excited. Dargo is really excited. They're like, is Talon here yet? Is Talon here yet? Because they have gotten a signal from him that they're close. And, um, And so they're anxiously awaiting the arrival. And... And John even arrives on command shirtless with the green shirt that he's been wearing for as Moya John <laughs> and the black shirt. And actually really cute a little exchange when he's asking Dargo, which one do I wear? And Dargo's like, the black one, of course. And then he tells him, I always thought the green one wasn't very flattering for your figure. <laughs> so funny. Who knew Dargo was such a fashionista? <laughs> I just love that they're bros again. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It sounds like something you'd say to your bro. Yeah. Revenging Angel really resolved a lot of the bickering conflict and the picking on each other that they had been going through for much of the Moya John arc. Yeah. And I think that also there's this moment early on with Chiana and Jewel that also spoke to me that they've kind of resolved some of their issues, you know, because Jewel gave Chiana like one of her bustiers essentially to like wear. And Chiana's like, you want me to wear this when we're seeing them again for the first time? And Jewel's (laughs) like, yeah, you look really cute. And then Chiana's like, no, no. (laughs) Right. But they're not fighting with each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like kind of they've come together as as being friends, you know? Mm -hmm. 
But it turns out, dun, 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 the pod that they get is not Talon's pod. And so the first scene we get is it opens and this Scarin comes out and he's all bleeding and everybody freaks out. And then a Nabari follows, which freaks out Gianna. And then there's this Hynerian. And then they have this like PK that they've beaten to a pulp. And they're like, here, this is our, this is our like essentially passage chip. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We are prisoners. Here's proof of that. And we need help. So our, our crew... It welcomes the other crew aboard, and we find out while they're eating in the central chamber that they were part of a peacekeeper test, weapons test. The peacekeepers were testing out a weapon that will demolecularize metals, and they were seeing what the effect would have on these different races, Scara, Nabari, Hynerian, and another race called a Bulite, that we find out there was a fourth person on their crew. Except Bulites, we learn, have a lot of metal in their bodies. So he was actually kind of disintegrated. And so while the Nabari uh, ex-prisoner, whose name is Hubara, she is leading Chiana and John onto the pod to find this Bulite. And it's just like this smudge of creature whose parts could apparently survive disembodied for up to half a year or half a cycle and you're just like oh farscape thank you for coming up with wonderful alien creatures that have really weird biology (laughs) i know i just love the idea of this it's so cool it is and so john is like uh i didn't mean to step on you because this basically looks like vomit on which is really just the disembodied bulite Mm -hmm. so one of the things that they're going to try and do is reassemble the poor bulite and save him yeah which is hilarious, and we'll get to that in a moment, because now we actually do have Talon. Talon mm-hmm. is here, and Moya is so excited. It's like, I don't know, this is one of those moments where you can hear via pilot, you really hear how excited Moya is. She's just like so eager to see her baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, Talon is here, Talon is here, and everyone's excited. And Dargo tells John, you should go ahead, don't worry about everybody else, we got it. And I should just point out right here that the Scarin um, has had his heat gland removed, so he he's not like impervious and doesn't have the heat weapon that most Scarins have. I forgot to mention that earlier. So anyway, so John runs off by himself to meet the crew of Talon, which is Rigel comes off first, mm-hmm. followed by Krace, and followed by Aaron. And it's a really quiet scene because not much gets said, so I didn't pull it for that reason. But it's really emotionally charged because... Yeah. John is grinning. He's so happy to see them. And even Rigel, he's happy to see. And even Crace. Even like, Crace. He's like, hey, Crace. He's like really excited. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Crace gives, actually gives him this really sad look because, of course, he and Rigel know what's coming. And then Aaron comes down. And Aaron is dressed as she was at the end of the choice. She's got the slicked back hair, the braid the peacekeeper outfit looking pretty much like she normally does but she's very very reserved and she only says hello john and then she walks past him and that's it and he is like completely confused and devastated until crace explains yeah and yeah i want to point out that the look that crace initially gives john it's like he comes out he looks at john he starts to say something decides against it and you can see in his head that crace is like this is going to suck a lot. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and it does, you know. It really does cuz it feels kind of like a like John is like all golden retriever puppy, really excited to see Aaron and she's just like you're the fake. 
I lost the real mm-hmm. one. I'm not yeah. going to engage emotionally again. And so, uh, yeah. And then Rigel smells their guests, and apparently he can smell <laughs> the female Hynerian, which actually we did get a hint of in Sons and Lovers. So, mm-hmm. Well, I would say it's, he's probably... I wouldn't say he's like Dargo and can smell everybody. My reading of that was that he's just tuned to Hynerian females as a male, you know, pheromones mm. or something like that. He's excited. He's super <laughs> excited. So... Rigel goes to his chamber and there's a high there's the female Hynerian there. And let's play it, because we don't get a lot of Rigel plots. Oh it is a female. <laughs> oh, please rise. You recognize me? Who could forget the royal profile? Mm-hmm. You're alive. Indeed. And you are? Orin Pack, from the Gensile province. Oh. At least, I was. And you have been a peacekeeper prisoner? Arrested because I refused allegiance to Domina Bishan. Oh, that's no crime. It's an act of courage. Oh, I shouldn't have been speaking of myself, of my travails, when I am in your presence. Forgive me. Your Highness, forgive me. Now, it is permissible for you to be the focus of attention if I desire it. Uh-huh. And I, uh, I, I do so desire it. <laughs> so, what you don't see on here also is a close-up on each of their eyes as they're looking at each other and... Orns is the Hynerian female. Her eyes like flutter. She has the long girly eyelashes that on androgynous things in American culture always signify female, like a cartoon character. And you cut a close up on Rigel's eyes narrowing in desire or something. It's kind of cute, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll give you cute. I'm kind of like, I think my whole thing about this Rigel plot is I'm like, it's fascinating to me because this is what happens when a show pairs off all of its single people. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because technically, John, Aaron, Chiana, Dargo, they're all like single on a technicality. Mm-hmm. But you can't have a honeypot plot with any of them because then it would just drag up too much emotional baggage. Like you wouldn't be able to have <laughs> that episode where Dargo got all honeypotted by the Oracan this season mm-hmm. Just because, like, his whole thing with Chiana is, like, too fraught. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm like, so then you're left with having to do a honeypot plot line with your puppet, which is, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I love it. I think I love it. I Because, okay, part of it is because Rigel really doesn't get the love interest. Like, mm-hmm. he can be, like you know gross old man with chiana like he was at the end of season one when they were stuck i mean when they're giving birth to moya and they were stuck in those pressure chambers together but you know he's always said he doesn't like body breeders he he wants to go back to hyneria and and and, you know be hynerian and here he gets the chance to you know have pleasure with the hynerian you know it's it's been a long time for poor rigel here (laughs) So I kind of got to give him props for finding the the one chick that he can have sex with and going for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. (laughs) I think my whole thing was just like the technicalities of like, I thought they didn't body breed, but oh well. (laughs) Yeah, so 
I was wondering about that too. And I, I think maybe there can be a difference between pleasure and, and breeding because they actually never say sex. They always say pleasure when they're referring to getting it on with each other, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe and we know he has like sensitive ear brows and things like that. So we know his body can have sexual pleasure, but maybe they're not doing anything that would result in eggs and little froglings. Yeah. Okay. That sounds okay. I mean, like, Again, I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, only on Farscape. This is, like, one of those only on Farscape moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, meanwhile, even though they've been keeping the Scarin under Qualtablade and the Nabari, Chiana is a lot more free with, but she's still keeping a very close eye on her. They actually have this moment where Chiana is in the chamber with the Nabari and Dargo is there with the Scarin and they're kind of talking to each other and they're like hey maybe now that everybody is back and they don't have Stark and they don't have the other John maybe things are going to get back to normal and then Chiana (laughs) has this precognition moment where she hears a a shot she hears a pulse rifle shot and nobody else hears it and Dargo's like okay well I guess we're never getting back to normal then Yeah, and she freaks out about it, too, because she's still not used to these moments. They're starting to realize that they're happening, but but she's she still can't tell when it's a precog moment versus when it's reality, mm-hmm. you know? She's still learning about this new ability that she has, which, I'll remind you, came about after the episode Losing Time when she was the host to the writer, the energy creature. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, obviously, it's Farscape. Nothing ever goes right for them. Yeah. They can't just have a simple mission. <laughs> yeah. So John is back in his quarters and he's going through other John stuff, Talon's John stuff. And as you remember, Talon John took all the good stuff, including Winona, the notebook, his best jacket, his you know favorite outfits. Uh, so he's kind of going through all that stuff. And he also has Stark's mask in there. After swapping his current pulse pistol back for Winona. Which he actually has to think about. I mean, that was an interesting yeah. kind of silent moment to me where he picks up both. He's holding them both. And then he kind of goes with Winona. Mm-hmm. You know, in that scene, it kind of feels like he's deciding, even though this belonged to the other guy, is it still mine? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's this moment where he decides that like, okay, it did belong to the other guy, but the other guy was me. And this feels right. Like he's just kind of, you can tell he's just going with what feels right to him. Yeah. Cause the other thing I got from how he's holding it, he holds them out in front of him. It looks like he's sighting down them to see which one's better, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of like assessing, assessing which one is better for him. But also in his bag is Stark's mask. And when he touches it and then tosses it, then Stark appears and says, Oh, look, my mask has reached its destination. I have a message for you which we don't hear right now. We hear it at the end of the episode. That's when we find out from Pilot that, oh no, there's a PK uh, distress signal being transmitted from the ship. And dun, 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 we have our plot for the episode. Yeah. And this is that moment where we really see what pairing off all the characters, why it worked so well. Because initially it was just because they didn't want to put everybody in cells because they're like, hey, we were PK prisoners, you were PK prisoners, we're kind of going to give you the benefit of the doubt, even though we're keeping Mm -hmm. weapons on you. But then everybody gets centralized and they're kind of talking about like, who could have sent the signal? Who could have sent the signal? And everybody kind of plays favorites. So let's take a listen. Why would anybody here want to signal the peacekeepers? What about the tech? He was a peacekeeper. No, no, no. The tech is kept in a cell on tier 11. I put my currency on the scarab. 
Well, normally I'd agree with you, but Nigel's been with me the whole time. What about the Nabari? Kubaro has never left my sight. And uh, since she arrived, Sweet Orin has been atop me, or uh, beneath me. Okay, or... there's a mental Polaroid. We can all live with that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, plan. We got a double time prep on the pod. We got to get them out of here as soon as we can, and until we do, we should lock them all up for safekeeping. Agreed? No, John. I will not imprison Nodgegill. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's gonna stay with me. And you, Barrow, never leaves my side. Just like before. And Aaron and I will just be... Uh... Be making the Hynerium with two backs, trunks, whatever. Yeah, just remember one of them sent the signal, be careful. Be careful. <laughs> I love how tired John sounds there. <laughs> just remember, guys, one of them is the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. I really kind of like how how Dargo has immediately struck up this camaraderie with Najgil, mm -hmm. who is the Scarin. Because the Scarins we've met several times throughout this series, and they're always the evil bad guy who are willing to do anything and be torturers and, you know, mess with John's brain. And they're the mortal enemies of the Peacekeepers. We've seen how bad they are with Scorpius's episode and Incubator. And yet here we kind of have this foot soldier who is a prisoner and he's been tortured himself. And Dargo really relates to that, you know, mm -hmm. and really takes him on the merits of being himself and not the stereotype of who the Scarens are. Yeah. And I think that I think that the only shortfall of this episode is that and having a plot like this where everything is kind of like, like really fast paced mixed with like these very emotional quiet moments that they you can tell that they're really trying to give the John Aaron stuff like enough quiet moments to make it feel unrushed, let me put it that way, to make it feel mm -hmm. like it, to make every beat land with that plot line. But at the same time, that does just take away from the minutes that you have in an episode altogether. So I love that Dargo is empathizing with a Scarin that was really treated like him. I mean, we remember Dargo still has those, you know, circles in his collar because he used to be chained up, you know, like an animal, like a beast. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we never, like... Najgul essentially never says anything. You know? Yeah, there's unfortunately not a lot of character development for Najgul. Yeah, that's true. The John and Aaron stuff is developed really well at the expense of this character, at these characters. And I can't really fault them for that because mm -hmm. obviously everybody's way more invested in the John Aaron stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think they do a really good job with the, the John and Aaron stuff. Um, but at the same time, they're also giving something for the rest of them to do. And you mm -hmm. have these little these little moments that you have. Nodgill is the one who's definitely the most short-shrifted. We get a little bit more with Chiana and Hubara, who is the Nabari, because mm -hmm. she lives longer or is not <laughs> wounded longer. Uh, spoilers, Nodgill gets shot later. He doesn't die right away, though. And then, of course, you have Rigel and Orna's plot line that, as we've already mentioned, is the honeypot. So she gets even more time to spent on her but speaking of john and aaron moments at the end of this scene everyone else has gone off with their respective prisoner and also i kind of love rigel's overshare because he wants everyone to know that he's getting some and so he's going to be as graphic as possible <laughs> <laughs> and they're like no so everyone else has gone off but aaron is still standing there her back is to john she's the last one in the room and he's looking at her, and this is really, the two of them are super aware of each other, you can tell. Mm -hmm. But then he doesn't say anything to her. He's giving her space. And it's, again, one of those really quiet, 
intense moments between the two of them throughout this episode because because they are the emotional heart of this reunion that's happening. Yeah, you're right. It is really good blocking. She is listening, but she's not really willing to look at him. You know, you don't turn your back to an enemy. She's not seeing him as an enemy. She's just almost seeing him as invisible. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she doesn't even really see him at all. Yeah, I feel like there's a large part of her that uh, can't acknowledge him mm-hmm. at the moment because she's still so deeply hurt and still grieving so deeply for the other John that that she has to maintain that physical distance to keep herself together. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So other than the Rigel and his honeypot kind of comedy of this episode, there is this another comedic plot line that just makes everything okay. <laughs> that in an episode that's like could have been super fraught and like super tense and could have been the choice 2.0. Instead, we get Crace and Jewel and like <laughs> everything about this works. And there's literally there's I think my favorite part about this is that there is no explanation as to why Commander Crace, a military commander, is helping Jewel, a scientist, put the blue light back together. No explanation. And it works for me on so many levels. It's really, really fun. According to Hugh Barrow's rendering of the blue light, this obviously goes here. Wrong. It's clearly vascular, not skeletal. Put this piece there, attach that piece to there, then there. Well, that would seem to be correct. <clears throat> I was hoping that once we got enough of him together that uh, he would be able to tell us how to do the rest. That's why I'm starting on the head and the mouth first. Head and mouth? Well, you don't think that that's the head and that's the mouth? Well, not unless he sits on his mouth. and they're both in like gowns and there's like all these body parts laid out on the table you know that scene in apollo 13 when they're like they dump all the stuff on the table they're Mm -hmm. like we need to build this out of all of that Mm -hmm. it's kind of like that except with the living creature and they're just trying to figure out which parts are which and of course jewel obviously has some knowledge structural knowledge of how a body should look and what the parts generally are going to look like just based on their function well Crace is just steamrolling full speed ahead and being like, I think this is the brain and this is the the mouth. And she's like, nope, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that there's no explanation. We've, re- did, we've received nobody being like, Crace, you go help Jewel. For like, there's no explanation. It just cuts to like the two of them putting together yeah. the blue light. And you're like, what? <laughs> what but it works yeah you know what this yeah. craze reminds me of like this is so weird mm-hmm. but this craze reminds me of won't get fooled again craze because just because <laughs> lani tupu and his like just like spot on comedic timing he is such a good straight man here yeah it's he's really good i i know exactly what you mean he's he's such a talented actor it's it's really fun to watch and the other thing i like about this is jewel here because you know in the past, she's always been so snotty with everybody and been like so superior about, hey, I know better than you. I'm smarter. I've got degrees. What are you doing here? Why mm-hmm. am I here? But here she's just, she's flirty, you know? Mm-hmm. She's she's making fun of him. She's teasing him. She's not being overbearing. She's not taking charge. She's not acting in a way that makes it seem like she feels superior to him. She just seems amused and having kind of fun with it at the same time as pointing him in the right direction. Yes. 
I think that that's, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Cause I think that this whole season has really kind of broken down who the two of them were. Like she is not the jewel from the first episode of this season. You know, she's had a lot more growth and we saw that early in her moment with Chiana. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just fun to see two characters who have kind of come to realize that they need other people and they're kind of like, oh, hey, you are also an outsider here. You know, let's chill and hang out and put together the blue light. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they're a lot of fun to watch. But getting back to our angst twins, John and Aaron are fixing the transport and it is going silently. <laughs> Let's put it yes. like that. So remember how we said just a minute ago that Aaron is not looking at John. She continues to not look at John even as she's working with him. He's in the floor and trying to fix something underneath the floor. And she's fixing some wires off to the side and has the toolbox next to her. And so this is the... Is it, can it be called a conversation if it's one-sided? Monologue? I don't know. Not monologue. even a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it is. Turbo sealer. Fluffy pink slippers. Donald Duck. Mickey Mouse. Huey, Louie, and Dewey. You want to talk? Okay, fine. No talking. No, you know what? I want to talk. I had words with Crace, and um, he told me that you and the other me. John here and I feel like it's one of those conversations where you you both know enough about the situation like he says I assume to know that she and the other John got very close when they were on the other ship and at the same time not knowing all the details but wanting to but not wanting to you know it's one of those really fraught emotional things that until you break that silence on it you can't talk about it Mm -hmm. the phrasing John uses is so key here he goes do you want to talk about it? And I'm like, this is Aaron soon. The <laughs> radiant Aaron soon. The last thing she ever wants to do is talk about anything. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Much less this, which is super painful to her. And so she just kind of walks away from this. And it's it's fascinating that in the echo of, of the choice, like this... This episode really lives in the shadow of the choice. And in the choice, she was like all about just like 
drunk and lack of control and you know she was constantly on that edge of you know the balcony edge of like is she going to step over and even she didn't seem sure sometimes and then here this whole episode is about just how controlled she is I mean I don't even think she says anything this episode except for hello John (laughs) she says hello John she talks to Dargo she says a few other things but she doesn't really talk to John at all and it just feels like she's so controlled. It feels like she went from yeah. being too wide and too out of control to just like holding on with both hands and just compressing herself down into trying to fit back into season one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and trying to trying to keep a hold of herself, you know, for me, it's as much the reading on it for me is as much that she's trying to keep herself together. You know, mm-hmm. and because she was so out of control of the choice. And here she just has to hold it together to get through the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's no wiggle room for her on that. Poor John. I mean, he is devastated by this. And I feel like, you know, he says, but I want to talk. And I feel like that's a good instinct for him. Yes, you should try to talk at some point. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he doesn't even know what to say. Like poor Crichton, who always knows what to say, who's usually very emotionally smart in this situation he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And that's just really hard to watch. And it's really upsetting too for, for I think as the viewer watching this awkward, painful conversation going on and also for him afterwards. And what happens next is while Aaron leaves, Dargo comes in and Dargo says, do you want some advice? And the visual that you see with John is that he's crying. Mm-hmm. Like his hands are over his face and, and he's crying. So I'm actually going to play that conversation because it's relatively short and it's really good. Dargo just trying to comfort John. Want some advice? until the very end it's interesting this use of the copy because we've been this whole season you know they did that really smart thing of the crew got too big so instead of trying to have episodes about this giant crew Buffy season eight (laughs) (laughs) instead of trying to do that they just broke the crew in half so that we got about half as many episodes but those episodes were really tight on each of these four different players And so the John in those, we kind of lost track of the who's the copy conversation. Like it became unimportant. And then now we're back to a place where it's incredibly important because in death, Aaron sees her John as the real one. And this John is the fake. So she feels like she's confronting the clone of her lover. 
But then by the end of the episode, which we're going to get to in a minute, I think it allows both Johns to be like the real John again. Because mm-hmm. like in death, now there's only one John again. So they both get to be the real one. I don't know if that I don't know if that makes sense. But it's I think it's just really clever the way the episode does it. Well, I think it's good to bring up the copy conversation again here, because whenever the two Johns were together, that was all they could think about. That was the primary preoccupation amongst them in Thanks for Sharing, Mm -hmm. right? Which is that last episode that we had before the crew split. And they always wanted to be the other one. They wanted to be the, the original and have everyone acknowledge that they were the original and that the other was the copy, whether or not the rest of them really could figure that out or not. Because remember in that episode, Aaron was like, I can't tell the difference between the two of you. Mm-hmm. So you put on one shirt and you put on another so I can tell you apart because you are so similar. And so bringing in that conversation back now when they are supposedly supposed to reunite really, as you said, highlights that because who is the one that is left? And then does it matter? And how does it matter? And of course, it's all about proximity, right? Mm-hmm. The folks on Moya think their John is, they have had these experiences with, with him. So he is theirs. And you know, Dargo supports them wholeheartedly. And then you have Aaron, on the other hand, with Crace and Rigel being like Talon John, their John was the one who was real to them because they were living with him and loving him, you know? Yeah. When I think the shirt thing and then also that moment where he's going through the gear, I think that both of those really speak to kind of this like reuniting of the Johns again. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. John's been wearing the shirt that Aaron gave him all season, really, like the green shirt. And then when Dar- when Dargo's like, you know, that shirt doesn't really fit you, he puts on he puts back on the black shirt, which is what Talon John was wearing. So it's kind of like him and Talon John becoming visually the same again. Yeah. And then additionally, when he's going through that gear, and again, he's choosing what he's going to take. Like he t- he checks he takes and he smells the coat, and he smells Aaron on it, and it's like this moment that he. He's not going to get, but at the same time, he's going to keep the coat and he's going to start wearing it again. And the same with the pulse rival, you know, it's Winona and he's been using this other gun, so he could just keep the other gun, but he's going to go back to Winona. It's like visually and physically, he and the other John are kind of becoming one character again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I think that is absolutely what they're doing visually in the storytelling of this episode. Mm hmm. When when Dargo says you're jealous of the other you and John says he's dead, it just brought to mind the fact that it's so hard to justify being jealous of someone who's dead because you Mm -hmm. feel bad that they're dead. You feel bad that Aaron lost him or John feels bad that Aaron lost him. And it just feels petty and mean to to harbor these emotions for someone who died, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's another complicating emotion going on in the John who's alive that he he feels like maybe or i interpret that he feels like he can't be jealous of him even though he is jealous of him yeah or him his other self yeah and that just adds on this whole other layer of guilt and complication yeah i i yeah i think that that's a good point of kind of that you can't really be jealous of a dead man but he is because it's like he definitely is in death again in death the other john gets to be the real one you know, mm-hmm. because now there's no fight. There's no two sides bickering. There's no, you know, there's no Rochambeau to tell who's real. And we'll get into that mm-hmm. in a minute. Like we, you know, if you've seen this episode yeah. and you're screaming at us, we're like, no, 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 we're going to get there. <laughs> this is the midpoint. This is where he has he is at the midpoint. Because there is an arc here of John's reconciliation with his other self. Yeah. 
Um, and then the other thing I want to point out, though, is in both of these conversations, in John's conversation with Aaron and in Durga's conversation with John, in both of those conversations, they both are kind of trying to do something that's very typical. Like typically in a TV show, it's like the main character starts talking and then they just talk it out and he and Aaron have a big conversation and she reveals emotionally to him and, oh, it's all good. And then, you know, or his best friend comes and gives him some amazing advice, you know. But in both of these conversations, it's like John doesn't know what to say and he starts talking and he starts trying to talk his way out of this. And instead, he just like gets lost and he gets and he realizes that he shouldn't have started in the first place. Mm-hmm. And like Dargo's like, here, let me give you some advice. And then John's like, fine, give me the advice after crying. And then he's like, fine, give me the advice. And Dargo's like, yeah, I didn't really have any advice. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like Dargo's presence is still incredibly important as support, even though he doesn't know what to say. Because, you know, in real life, often you don't know what to say, mm-hmm. you know, also such a kind of situation. It's it's tough. Yeah. They've almost fixed the pod. John goes to talk to Rigel. Rigel's like, well, Oren can't leave. I'm in love with her and she's in love with me. And we're going to stay here <laughs> happily and just continue to pleasure each other. Yes. And I got to say, Oren wakes up. They're, they were sleeping while this conversation was happening. John wakes Rigel up and Oren wakes up in the middle of it and says to... <laughs> to Rigel afterwards let's go again I hear Dominar's you know don't need any breaks and I gotta have a little bit of a shout out to Hynerian kinks which is like <laughs> growl like a Luxon and it just cracked me up <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh uh. so then we get a several scenes between um some of the other characters the Nabari uh who Hubara is her name Hubara and she and Shiana are, I don't remember where they are exactly, but I they're I think off. they're in Shiana's quarters or something. They're in Shiana's quarters. And, you know, we get a little bit more about Nabari culture here because Hubar reveals that she's an androgen, which is an androgynous. She's neither male nor female. She has sex characteristics of both. And, you know, the, the Bari Prime, the government, is trying to suppress that. And apparently mm-hmm. the babies are taken away soon after birth. You're very unlikely to meet them though hubara does says maybe you have and you just didn't know it so there's a little bit more of nabari culture and you can see chiana kind of fascinated by this Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's a fascination with this this thing that was forbidden or just this new interest that she has in hubara but i feel like it's one of those things that makes her even more protective of hubara than she was before oh yeah you know Yeah. Well, I think it's also that she really empathizes with this idea of somebody that's different from Nabari. Do you know what I mean? Because she, you know, she's obviously on the side of her brother who's fighting for the rebels. But at the same time, she kind of sees the Nabari as like this great front because she kind of talks to her and she's like, oh, well, you know, do you really want to be on the run? And and Hubara reveals that the peacekeepers actually offered her back and the Nabari didn't want her. So I think mm-hmm. that Chiana really is empathizing with somebody who also can't go home, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I find it interesting that they just didn't kill her when she was offered back, you know? I found it interesting they didn't kill her at birth, you know? Yeah. It's just like one of those weird Nabari things. Like, they're so strict on the conformism, and they will brainwash anyone that they mind cleanse, anyone that's non-conforming, but, but physically mm-hmm. conforming. 
And here's this person who is physically non-conforming and they just sort of sent her away. I don't know. It just feels weird unless they did the same thing with Chiana. I think it was just that they didn't want her. Like they literally like the peacekeepers were like, here, here's this, this, you know, Nabari. And they're like, we don't want her because then they would have to acknowledge she existed in the first place. Oh, okay. I could see that, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. So we get like a good moment there. It's really interesting. So meanwhile, the blue light is coming back together and, Grace and Jewel have got the correct mouth working with the brain. So John goes and checks in with them, and the blue light says traitor. And apparently, it's the only word that they've been repeating over and over again. And I got to say, I could not like hear anything from the blue light. So kudos to the crew for understanding them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know uh, how people did it before closed captions because I like I was like what, and then I would have to rewind it, turn on closed captions, and be like, oh okay. <laughs> Yeah, but they, they that's what they said. So that's and of course obviously they already knew there was a traitor in their midst because of the of the signal. But while John is there, that's when the shots fired happens. That's mm-hmm. what Pilot says, and we find out that the Scarin Najgil has been shot while he was out of Dargo's sight for a minute. Um he's shot in his where his gland surgery had been, the heat gland. Mm-hmm. That's the one one place he's vulnerable. And so then it's like, who did it? Who did it? Because we don't know. We have Ubara and we have Orin, who are the two suspects as the other prisoners. Mm-hmm. And Dargo gets bad at both of them, attacks both of them. Chiana and Rigel both give them alibis and are like, no. And John goes and visits the peacekeeper tech who we've kind of forgotten about, but he's been in a cell and he's like, he didn't move. He's had a DRD watching him. He's obnoxious now. He does the whole evil evil prisoner thing that gets under your skin mm-hmm. at least got under my skin john doesn't fall for it though kudos to john and so then there's there's they disperse and chiana and rigel both go hide their their preferred people when and their the rest of them are trying to find them and say we just want to get rid of you we have the pod it's almost done we just want to put you on it and have you leave leave us alone <laughs> And actually, Ubara ends up kind of falling for that. After Aaron and Dargo have kind of gone through the containers looking for them, you know, she says, you know, is is John serious when he says that they'll drop us at a friendly commerce planet? And Shiana's like, yeah, John's a legit guy. He will do that. So then Ubara's like, well, I don't want to get you in trouble. And I, I kind of like you and I don't want to get you in trouble. And I just kind of want to get out of this situation. And so she starts running and then... Chiana's chasing her. Chiana has a moment of precognition earlier where she, you know, mentioned that Ubara was that Ubara was going to get shot. And then they're running through the hallways. We find out that it was Oren because the boo light starts talking and says it was mm-hmm. Oren. And then Oren shoots poor Ubara, which kind of makes me sad. Yeah. yeah, it is kind of sad. It's like why do all these poor people who just arrived on Voya have to get shot and die? And it's it's kind of heartbreaking, too, because Chiana is really visibly upset by it. Yeah. Backtracking just a little bit. So Orin, right before being shot, Ubara's shot, Orin is revealed to be the bad guy. She's with Rigel in the ducks in the access cham- um, corridors, the maintenance corridors of Moya hiding. And, and and she takes Rigel prisoner with a knife to his throat. Mm-hmm. And they actually have this, it's kind of like a villain reveal conversation where she's like, oh, you are such a gullible fool that I kind of want to play because you know, there's a lot going on with it. Keep your 
your eyes out. Orton must have shot Nargill. And let the tech loose. Rigel, are you hearing this? Move! <gasps> Rigel! Why, Oren, why? You were a prisoner of the peacekeepers like the rest of us. Because, my dear gullible Dominar, the odds of staying free stunk. So I struck a deal with the tech. When you were a Moya, you were free. For how long? I don't want to spend my life running from the peacekeepers. And once I got here, I found a superb bargaining chip. You. They'll be far more interested in recapturing a full royal than a lowly soldier like myself. You're a soldier. You might not have deigned to take pleasure with me if you'd known I was a common soldier. And I needed you to take pleasure so you would fall asleep and I could roam the ship. It was unfortunate that the Scarron saw me. But you slept too. All Hynerians sleep deeply after pleasure. <laughs> the pleasure, Dominar, was all yours. You were faking. Oh, males. Move it! So, first of all, she was faking her orgasms, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. But the other thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit is Orn's motivation. She was a prisoner of the Peacekeepers. They got free and are on Moya. And Rigel even points that out. But you're free now. You can escape. And she's like, but for how long? How long before I'm captured again? And I want to make sure that I'm going to survive. So I'm going to cut a deal and you're going to be my hostage. Because they're, you're probably a more valuable prisoner. And it just reminded me of season one Rigel a lot. Like, mm. he was all about cutting deals with peacekeepers. He betrayed the crew at the end of season one to Captain Crace and Scorpius. You know, I don't want to stereotype all Hynerians, but there's a little bit of that the Hynerian schemer kind of stereotype in Orn that we get to see here. Mm -hmm. And she's manipulating Rigel to get what she wants. She's, I feel like, a lot cleverer than Rigel would have been about this because he just kind of went and did it without even trying to pretend. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we do know Rigel can bluff because in the Flax, he bluffs the pirate crew. Mm -hmm. But it's just the contrast between Orn, who is very reminiscent of season one Rigel, and Rigel, as we know him now in season three, who is all about, hey, you could have gotten away. You know, don't turn us in. Mm -hmm. You know, no more cutting deals with the peacekeepers. And I just really like that contrast. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection of Orin to season one Rigel. But now that you're pointing out, I really like it. Because for me, I kept kind of thinking, why do you trust this tech? He's super low level. Like he tries to buy Aaron off early in the episode. He's like, oh, they're going to give you a big reward, a big reward. And she kind of looks at him and she's like, for a tech, you know? <laughs> and so from, you know, as viewers, you're kind of like, yeah, the peacekeepers aren't going to do anything for a tech, you know? They're probably just like yeah. already wrote him off for dead. That was my whole thing with her. I'm like, you're trusting this guy that literally has no value to the peacekeepers. But I think now that you're pointing it out is very similar to season one, Rigel, that works for me, you know, because yeah. yeah, in season one, he would like do anything for himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it also season three, Rigel, the difference here also with the, his relationship with the crew, you know, Aaron is talking to him, trying to make sure he has the right information. Hey, you're with a dangerous person. Are you hearing me? And then there's a conversation just after this. So Orin has tied Rigel to the throne sled. She's escaping. Uh, she's shot Ubara. 
and has made it to the maintenance bay where there's going to be this big firefight with her and the PK tech between Crace, who has a gun, and Jewel. And I think the Scarin ends up finding a weapon or two. Yeah. But anyway, big firefight because uh, with the blue light and it's uh, frustrating because they can't shoot straight. But but basically they're escaping. <laughs> yeah, my question you know? was, how on earth is the tech out shooting a Scarin soldier <laughs> Crace, and then eventually everybody shows up, and I'm like, "How yeah. is this guy still alive?" Plot. <laughs> they needed him to fly the the transport pod. But when they escape, and John and Dargo, I can't remember quite when it happens, but they have this little conversation of Dargo saying, "What if Rigel wants to go?" and John saying, "What if he doesn't?" And they're like, "We got to go get Rigel back." Mm-hmm. And think back to season one. Like, would they have gone to rescue Rigel just because he's Rigel? Like, I mean, they did. They thought about not in that episode where he stole the. The only reason they went to go rescue him in the episode with the gauntlet was because he'd stolen literally a piece of Moya that she couldn't fly without. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just I don't know. I'm just I just love Rigel so much here because the crew loves him so much that they're gonna go get him back. You know, and it just makes me really happy that they're they're at this place with Rigel of all people. You know, it's that really like. He's he might be a slug, but he's our slug kind of mentality. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I just like all Rigel character development. <laughs> you know me. So yeah. Anyway, so the the tech Oran and Rigel are on the transport pod. Aaron and John kind of have the same thought, but Aaron doesn't know that Dargo's ship works now. So they all go up in Dargo's ship and they fly right on top of the transport pod. And the tech is now freaking out because now he's realizing that like. They're on a transport pod that's kind of barely functional. And so they're on top of the transport pod and Aaron goes to shoot the same kind of the same rope things that she shot in the Budong episode. And John is like, hey, are we sure this is going to hold? And she's like, yeah, don't you remember the Budong? And he's like, no. And and you can tell that there's this moment of her kind of she's warmed to him because in action, we've talked about how in action they are completely in sync. Even even in episodes when John was going crazy and even in episodes when, you know, they were angry at each other, when they are doing action adventure stuff, they are always on the same page. Mm-hmm. And you even see it at the beginning of this sequence with the rescue of Rigel when they both say, I have an idea at the exact same time. And it's very much like when they've synced up what they've said in previous episodes, like Beware of Dog. You know, they're on the same wavelength right here. And it's like the differences between John's doesn't matter because he is John, she is Aaron, and they're going to go rescue Rigel. Mm-hmm. So they blow out the ha- they go down to the prince pod they blow out the hatch they grab rigel out they have a shootout they have a shootout <laughs> they finally kill the tech which i'm like thank goodness that you guys can shoot him at a five foot range <laughs> anyway and then so they get out oran is there and she's clinging to rigel and he kicks her off into space and she goes and, floating off into space yeah, and john has a hold of rigel and holds on to him and they had this little moment of Rigel saying, don't blame me for having a trusting nature, which one is hilarious. And then a little <laughs> bit of a moment between them when John's like, women, man. <laughs> so good. So then they leap off just as the transport pod explodes. Oh, and Talon shows up because Talon's Talon been gone up. for like half this episode and he finally shows yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And he's gone because they had to, they'd starbursted away from the, the signal that was sent the first time. And so because they had to starburst separately, he had to catch up to Moya 
even though they're going the same direction. Starburst is a little random. And so, uh, yeah, so it's good. You know, kind of an action adventure five minutes. It's Yeah, it actually is a really nice little rescue. I kind of like it. It's And it's... As again, as I said, I just love that they they all go after Rigel, and there's there, there's no question that they're going to go after him, other than that little moment with Dargo. And even then, there's no one else says, "Hey, maybe we should just leave him. We'd be better off without him." Yeah, you know, Dargo is phrasing it as maybe Rigel wants to go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's good. Also, I want to point out that in the firefight that we kind of lambasted earlier because how can no one shoot this tech um <laughs> all of jewel and Crace's hard work is now to not because oh. the poor boo light is now completely shot to like little itty bitty smithereens it's kind of sad it's super sad <laughs> and so and also the boo light is completely covering Crace and jewel who are both screaming and they do not like <laughs> being covered in living boo light <laughs> poor things yeah and I think the the Scarin also eats it in this scene too. He gets shot by the tech and is killed for for real. Which again, like what? Anyway, okay, I'm just gonna ignore plot. Plot. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so now things are a little bit quieter, and they go back to the ship, and John finally gets a chance to listen to the message that he had from Stark. So let's take a listen. It's all in my head, which means it's in yours too. Wormholes, A to Z. You've probably already heard what we did with it. And that's just the beginning. You could fry a whole solar system. (laughs) Furlough is still out there, somewhere. But for right now, the Scarens are back to square one. Peacekeepers, they're your problem. Look at me. Now look at yourself. You know. Don't let Scorpius crack this. Whatever it takes. <sighs> okay. I'm gonna piss you off now, man. Be smart. Don't push her. One more thing at the end there is them doing Rochambeau, and they both come up scissors. So remember, this recording of John that he's seeing in Stark's mass message is from weeks ago, probably at this point, when he was dying in Infinite Possibilities Part 2, Icarus Abides. Mm-hmm. 
So there's this conversation through time, but because they know each other so well, they're they're basically having this conversation in real time kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And they both come up scissors with the Rochambeau. So that's the last visual thing. I know I'm starting at the end here, but we were talking about earlier, you know, this is the visual coming around of the two of them, their separateness becoming whole again. It's not two different people. They're the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is what I this is what I was talking about how as a series this allows them both to be the same person without one of them being the clone. And then the other thing here is I when he says look at me. John hasn't been looking at the other John. He's been kind of staring down, he's been staring to the side and when the other John says look at me, he does look at him. And I think it kind of feels very similar to that way that Aaron can't quite look at the Moya John. Like she kind of has to look at him out of the corner of the eye because the reality is too real. You know, it's too real that, you know, she kind of built up in her mind like, no, the other guy is a clone. And when I go meet him, it's going to be very clear he's the clone. And yet it's not because they're the same Mm -hmm. John. And I think that's also what's going on here is John is like frustrated and angry that this John kind of gets to be the real I don't, I don't know it's very complicated for him i think yeah well he's always had this complicated relationship with his other self both of them have they are very contentious all throughout the time that they are actually together and here's another instance of them coming back together you know out of sight out of mind but now he's back and his presence is very much back because of his relationship with aaron and her reaction to his death and it's not just you know look at me you know, he doesn't know that the other John's not going to look at him, but he, he might know that he would want to avoid it. And then he says, look at you, you know, and it's just like the two of us, we are who we are. Mm-hmm. And my mission in life is to stop Scorpius from getting this technology. And it should be your mission as well, because we're the same person. Yeah. And then the other thing is Aaron has been listening to this whole conversation. She's in the hallway. Yeah, she's in the hallway and she hears what's going on. And it, it's a really an echo of the end of Eat Me where they're both playing Rochambeau and she's mm. watching them. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's like they're yeah. and it's like she can't tell the difference. And then now she's kind of watching them and she can tell the difference. But you can also tell there's like this confusion and this warming in her where she doesn't know how she feels anymore like she thought she she thought that she knew how she was going to feel and she just doesn't yeah there's been kind of this reconciliation because of all the visual cues bringing them together and this evidence here that they still think the same way like even months apart and and even through death they both throw scissors and rochambeau they're they're on that same wavelength of when they see each other again, they throw the same thing. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. And it's, it's a little bit of a catharsis too for, for the viewer, I think, Mm -hmm. because you're starting to see, you've seen all this tension between John and Aaron throughout this episode, but now he's having this conversation with himself. She's watching that conversation happening, seeing them be so similar to each other and fundamentally being the same. And it's just like, you know, as a viewer, it's kind of nice because you're like, okay, she's going to start to get it. It's going to be, there's this hope that it's going to be okay at the end there. Yeah. 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 And one last thing before we leave the scene, I just want to note another symbolic thing. It's the chessboard. So when the scene opens, the camera is on the chessboard that John has built in his quarters and it's both sides lined up in start position. 
and then it pans over to John. And I just think that's interesting because, you know, so much through season two, we'd see games in progress. We'd see John playing against Harvey or Scorpius in his head before he was Harvey and John losing. And then there's that, that scene at the end of season two, very end where he's like, kill me, Dargo. And, you know, he can't keep his king upright because he's losing to Scorpius. But here you see the the board set equal, ready to go again. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I really like the symbolism of this is John ready to go up against Scorpius as an equal. Yeah. Which is what he presents to the crew. They have everybody in Pilate's chamber and John presents, we don't see it, but John essentially presents this point of he is not going to let Scorpius get his hands on wormhole tech. So he's going to go after Scorpius. Everybody listens. Pilate has this hilarious line where he's like, I need you to know that Moya and I are against this in its totality. And Talon is also. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jewel says she's out. Gianna especially says the same thing. Yeah. But then Aaron completely silently walks and stands behind John or stands next to him. Oh, my heart. Yeah. And then Crace follows after Aaron. And you see Dargo and Chiana especially, you know, thinking about it real hard. And they don't cross over, but it's left with that kind of that, hey, the three of them are going to go do this. It's so important to John to do this. And Aaron's going to stand by him and Crace is going to follow Aaron. And it's just, oh, it's such a great moment because, again, you see it's like Aaron coming around to being like, no matter what's wrong with us, I will stand with you. Mm-hmm. Well, also, it's like almost payback for for her John dying, because if her John died and Scorpius still gets wormhole tech, then mm-hmm. that means his death was pointless. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because they want to prevent the wormhole tech from ever getting out. So, I mean, I think there's a lot going on with her emotions there. And I think it says something that she doesn't look at or really speak to John, even as she's siding with him. Mm -hmm. That's very true. And the other thing about this scene that I found kind of fascinating, and it only kind of hit me in in retrospect, is that this is the first time we really see the Moya crew be proactive Mm -hmm. about something yeah like they've always been so reactive about it everything to do with the the gamut base in season one they had to save Aaron. they were reacting to a situation that happened with the marauders so they had to go do that and kind of the series of events fell out of being reactive and the mm-hmm. same thing at uh, the end of season two when they have to heal moya and get the chip out of John's head. That was something done to John and they have to react to that as a crew. Mm-hmm. But here, here they have a, they have a battle plan, you know, that he's standing in front of the crew in pilot's chamber saying, we got to go do this. We have to prevent this terrible technology from falling in the hands of these horrible people. We have to do it. I'm going with or without you. You know, it's very yeah. proactive. That's a good point because we've said that Farscape could, really be summarized as John Crichton's very bad, (laughs) no good, very bad, like terrible, horrible, terrible, horrible, (laughs) you know, few years, because it really is like so much of Farscape is this thing happens to John, John reacts, but this is really is a moment where he's doing something proactive. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of nerve Mm -hmm. when he presents to the crew. He's like, I'm going to go do this. It's completely crazy. I'm probably going to die, but I have to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good episode. I really do like this episode quite a bit. What'd you give it? Uh, I don't know. For me, it's like a four. Um, it's not like a favorite, uh, like maybe even a 3.5. I mm-hmm. don't, I think that they do a really good job, but I think they're just trying to do too much mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, I'll go with the three and a half, four. I mean, for me, it's just a very solid episode. It doesn't fall apart anywhere. But yeah, I think there is a lot going on. And I think they pull it off, but they could have done better. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that if they'd even cut just a couple of things from this episode, like like the the Crace and Jewel stuff, it would have given them more time for other stuff. But at the same time, I wouldn't want them to cut the Crace and Jewel stuff <laughs> because that was some of my favorite stuff. Like the Crace and Jewel, Aaron and John... And then the androgen, which I wish we'd heard more from, I was like, that all worked for me. And then I'm kind of like, I don't know what else they would have cut, but it just, it mm-hmm. felt really busy. Cause I mean, you've got like, you've got the escaped prisoner spotlight. Like nine characters. Yeah. You've got like a lot going on. And I think yeah. that, okay, this really speaks to why having the two crews works. Because when you have two crews, you get to really have, you get to have episodes like The Choice, where no one was given the short shrift. And at the same time, it just like punches you in the gut, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And here I'm just like, we got maybe a couple minutes with everybody and it just didn't feel like enough time with everybody. Yeah. But I will say that this time they did spend with everybody was well spent. Yes. Yeah. 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 Of course. So. So do you know what we have next week? Next week we have Ayensh Yuyensh. Oh. So we are coming up on our season three wrap up. We would really, really love to hear from you. So please, please, please send us a voicemail, a message, an email. We will take whatever you are sending and we would like to read it and chat about it. Or if you have a question or if you have a comment, if you want to tell us what your favorite episode was this season, please let us know. We are Farscape Friday podcast at Gmail, Tumblr and Dreamwith. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.